We've been in a study titled Called. We've been examining some of the significant passages in the Bible where people got a call from God. And some powerful things have happened as we've considered what it means to live a called life. But not everyone who got a call from God responded with yes. Sometimes they hung up the phone on God. And we're going to look at one of those times today. So be opening your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We'll read from there in a moment. I think it's appropriate that I begin this sermon as you're giving your offerings. Because if you want to talk about a called life, you have to deal with the issue of how money affects our ability to hear the word of God. You may have heard the story of the preacher who didn't handle his finances very well and needed some extra money. So he checked the paper for a part-time job and saw that they were hiring at the zoo. And that worked well because the zoo was closed on Sundays. And so he thought, well, I can pick up a little extra money. Well, he goes to meet the manager of the zoo and here's what he finds out. Their most popular attraction was a bear. The kids loved to come and watch the bear. And the bear died. And the zoo didn't want to tell the kids the bear had died. So he said, here's the deal. You got a bear suit. All you have to do is walk out in that bear suit, flop down next to the water, and take a nap. That's it. Just so the kids will know the bear is still there. He thought, well, that's easy money. I can do that. People sleep when I work. I can sleep on the job, too. So he buys the bear suit. He gets in it. He works. It's going okay, but frankly, it's so boring just to walk out, lay down, and sleep. And so one day, he starts to move around a little bit, and he notices when he does, the kids get excited. See, he had been a gymnast in high school. He was fairly coordinated. So he started to roll around a little bit, and the kids got even more excited, and a crowd began to gather. He did a somersault, and people went nuts. So now the ego's going, and so he starts doing flips and all kinds of things. He did a double backflip. Problem was, he wasn't watching where he was. Flipped right over the fence into the lion's den. So the lion comes out and starts to chase the bear, which is really the preacher in the bear suit. And he's running all around trying to avoid this lion. He's thinking to himself, I'm not going to outrun a lion. My only hope is to play dead. So he finds a spot, just lays as still as he can. The lion comes and gets right over him, puts his big mouth right down next to his head, and he hears a voice. Get up and run. You're not the only preacher around here who needs some more money. <laughs> You see, the people of God often find themselves in places they shouldn't be because of money matters. But the other side of that is even more true. We often find ourselves not in the one place we're supposed to be behind Jesus following because of money matters. And that's why when you read your Gospels, you will see that Jesus talks more about money than any other subject except the kingdom of God. Because the two are related. He knows our chief tension is not choosing between God and Satan. You did not wake up this morning and ask yourself, now am I going to worship God or Satan today? The competition is between God and me. Am I going to let God run my life today or am I going to take over? 
And if I'm going to take over and if I'm going to be in control, regardless of mitigating circumstances, I've got to have resources that give me leverage. Therefore, Jesus knows our chief temptation is to replace God with the illusion that enough money can give me control. So, don't tell me not to talk about money. You might as well rip the four Gospels out of your Bible and say, let's don't talk about Jesus. One out of every six recorded verses of Jesus is dealing with the topic of money. Because he knows your heart follows your treasure. He wouldn't leave the message alone. Even if some were willing to leave the message. So Luke 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them. No one who's left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Well, he's a wealthy man. And wealthy people are used to getting whatever they want. So he comes up to Jesus with a question he's asked all his life about everything else. What's the price? What will it cost me to get what I want? Because I'm used to getting what I want. What's the price? See, he's treating eternal life as another acquisition, like it's just one more payment away. Now, he's the kind of man most churches would love to have. He's a good, moral person. He's probably a generous person. He tries to keep commandments. He's respected in the community. He's the kind of man most churches desperately want. But he's so far from the kingdom of God. Mark adds in verse 21 of chapter 10 that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Even though he was... Self-righteous in ways he didn't even understand. Jesus loved him. And Jesus knew to help him, he would have to crush him. Because what this commandment-keeping young man did not understand was that he was breaking the very spirit of the commandments he was keeping. Because the purpose of the Ten Commandments was to guide you into a life where two things are priority. You're going to love God and you're going to love your neighbor more than anything else. 
And he wasn't doing that. So, Jesus said, you ask me for one thing, I'm going to give you four. Here's what you need. Sell. Give. Come. And follow. It's the life you've always wanted. Even though you don't know it yet. Sell. Give. Come. Follow. And notice how verse 23 reads from the message. That was the last thing the official expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let them go. Like a lot of us, he thought the kingdom of God was just about avoiding evil. I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do this. And Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is an invitation to so much more than a life of staying out of trouble. See, Jesus had a question for him. And basically the question is the same question Jesus asked everybody. Where's your cross? Jesus is simply putting flesh on the fundamental principle of living a called life. Back in chapter 9 of Luke, he had said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so all Jesus is doing is saying, this is what your cross looks like. So go get your cross. It's not primarily a message about the duty of charity. It's about the danger of idolatry. The call to deny ourselves and take up our crosses is fundamentally a call to grasp the kingdom of God and the mission of God with so much allegiance, you'll let go of anything else to hold on to it. And it's a call that many people are willing to leave because they will not leave their commitment and their attachment to physical riches. Back in 1845, Lord Franklin tried to find a passage through the northwest and the Arctic. They put on his boat a 1,200-volume library, china, goblets. Every officer had sterling silver with his initials in it. Well, they get up into the Arctic, and winter comes, and the boat gets surrounded by ice and is stuck. After a few months, Lord Franklin dies, and the crew realizes our only hope is to get off this boat And trek across this ice and try to find safety. Not a single person survived. They found most of them. Some miles from the boat. Their sleds loaded down. With silver and china. And things they were trying to pull. As they were trying to save their lives. So Jesus watches him leave. And he says, maybe the one sentence the church for 2,000 years has tried to get away from than any other sentence. How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about what God is doing, the reign of God in the world today. It's hard for rich people to engage it. It is hard for rich people to be fully participating.
participant in what God is doing, bringing the reign of Christ into the world. Now, this is a radical ethic. Who's ever heard of this? That the rich are the underprivileged? And please notice, he does not say how hard it is for those that misuse their riches to enter the kingdom of God. He said how hard it is if you have riches to be a part and to embrace the call to join what God is doing in the world. Why? Well, how can you follow Jesus if you're lugging all this stuff with you? That's our problem. You can't carry a cross and a lot of baggage at the same time. You've got to pick one or the other. And we have a lot of baggage. I have a lot of baggage. I'll show you some of my baggage. I have lots of toys because I like to keep up with the Joneses. I notice what they're driving and what they're wearing. See, one of the things about having money... That ache in your soul that was supposed to drive you to God, you can learn how to dull it by just going to the mall. So I have a lot of toys that I like to keep in my trunk. I got my gym membership because God gave me abs and I'm determined someday to find them. (laughs) I need that. And I got my hobbies. Because you go, you got to have a break sometimes, and the kids have all their select sports, and that's expensive, but, you know, that's just part of the culture. You can't expect me to give that up. And i got to think about retirement. So i got my 401Ks and my plans, because someday I'm going to dress like John Jones. <laughs> see? And if you ever see Jamie wearing the same shirt, just shoot us both. (laughs) And I don't know how I can pay for all this because, frankly, I'm on the margins right now. But that's great. I got these things called credit cards. And credit cards mean I don't have to delay any desire or any want. It's the American way. Now, I know the Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender. And that if you get involved in credit, you're going to wind up in bondage. But, you know... If you really try, it's not that hard. We've all gotten pretty good at it. And you know what really is in my back trunk? Me. (laughs) This is my identity. Because since I was a little boy in my culture, I was taught to equate my self-worth to my net worth. That I have value if I have valuables. So, I can't give all this up. This is just part of what it means to be happy today. I granted it's it's heavy and it comes with some issues, breaks up a lot of marriages and gets a lot of kids making some poor decisions, but you know, it's my bag. So Jesus Here's the deal. I really want to follow you, but you're going too fast. Hold up, Jesus. Hold up. All right. I'll tell you what. I'll catch you later. 
I've been preaching for 30 years. I am convinced the single number one reason we live on the periphery of the kingdom of God instead of diving into it is because we will not give this up for that. I'm not saying we won't leave church or that we'll leave our devotion to certain of our favorite commandments, but we'll leave the message because I'd rather hold a credit card than a cross. G. Gordon Liddy, shortly after he was released from prison for the Watergate scandal, was speaking at this college in Missouri espousing his particular philosophy that we live in a dark and evil world and the only way to survive is force. Violent force of will. Only the strong survive. He wasn't just talking about national politics. He was talking about a personal agenda for living. And one of the professors stood up and said, Mr. Liddy, Many of us in this country are trying to live by the ethic of Jesus. And this doesn't sound like what Jesus taught. And Liddy paused, then he glared at his audience and put his arms out and says, Yeah, and look where it got Jesus. They crucified him. And after a moment, the crowd broke out in applause. Because he got to make a choice. And I think we think Jesus knows a whole lot about how to go to heaven. But he doesn't have a clue how to make it in the real world. Because he didn't have any baggage. But he won't change the message. He'll let you leave before he will leave you another message. Because when Jesus calls a man. He bids him to come and die. And that's our question. What's your choice? You ever seen somebody try to talk on two phones at once? You get a call. Then you get another call. At some point, you've got to make a decision. You know what? Hold on. I'll talk to you in a minute. Because you can't talk on two phones at once. So you have to make up your mind which call is going to trump any other call. And I know what I'm saying this morning sounds impossible for some of us. But Jesus said it's not impossible for God. Nothing's impossible for God. Nothing's too hard for God. God really can deliver us. From the sickness of defining ourselves by how much we accumulate. And liberate us to a whole new understanding of what it means to be rich. In fact, he's done it for a lot of people right here in this room. David and Donna Young have made several trips the last few years to Southeast Asia to a country where we're working. I can't tell you the name of the country because it's fairly hostile to the Christian faith. Here they are. They're retired. They're at a time in their life where they ought to be planning their next vacation. They've decided instead to sell their house and sell their possessions and move to live permanently 
in that country and teach about Jesus. I want you just for a moment to watch the video and let them tell you why. Over the course of of five years, we've developed uh, relationships with uh, many people in uh, South Asia, in the countries that we've been working in, in the country that, that we're thinking about going to. And God has put it on our hearts to continue to uh, develop these relationships. It's like the farmer that plants the, the, the crop and tends the field. And instead of uh, walking away from the field, uh, as we have done from time to time to come back here to the States, uh, God's telling us, go back to the field, tend the field. I had really uh, so many idols of greed and and, uh, and it was trapping me. And it was like that rich young ruler. I just couldn't let it go. I didn't want to let it go. I wanted to be comfortable. I wanted to be in my beautiful home. And all of the different idols, it just all was preventing me from saying yes to the call of God. Yes, to go to a place that's very different from what I have here. Uh, all of those things were, were standing in the way. Each time I would go to... This foreign, these foreign countries and see the difficulty in life and just living, uh, I would question God. I would say, God, how can I do this? So I struggled with that. I, I really had to struggle with that. And God had to show me that, David, these comforts uh, of life are not what's important. It's the people that you are, the relationships of the people that I have put in your path that's important. These are the souls that I want in heaven someday. In our journey of these last five years, I've looked very carefully at the rich young ruler and how he came to Jesus and how his heart really was yearning for more of the Lord. And I've always wondered what would happen if he would have said yes. And that, I think, is the question that we have. We felt God's calling. We felt this unusual calling to sell everything at our stage in life and go and follow Him. And I think God wouldn't have stopped loving us if we would have said no or anything like that. But we would have probably spent the rest of our life going, what if we would have said yes? We, we got the highest visa that is allowed. More than More we than asked we for. Ask for. Our application was not even for that. They gave us better than what we asked for. So we know that that was from God. That was a gift from God. Uh, And we're excited to be, uh, again, going on this adventure with God in His leading, in His timing. And we feel that time is now. Really, the truth of the matter is the Holy Spirit is in us. And he is the one that loves and does all the work through us. And so we are just to be there quietly tending uh, what he's already planted and what he's already begun. And we're just supposed to water and love on those people and represent Jesus. And uh, I just think it's going to be a blessed life. Did you hear... Donna says she thinks they're going to have a blessed life. See, here's the deal. That word sell rang so loud in the ears of that young man. 
he couldn't hear the word me. All he could hear was self. And he never heard life with me. And I'm convinced you're never really free till you're totally free to follow Jesus. So let me close with just a couple of quick thoughts about the call. Here's number one. He'll never call with a different offer. He will let you leave the message before he will leave a different message. Because Jesus is not interested in getting professions. He wants to make disciples. I know a lot of you have been to Arlington National Cemetery and you've seen this picture. The tomb of the unknown soldier. Those men that guard that tomb are amazing to me for their commitment. They make a two-year commitment. They live underground. They accept very stringent restrictions on their lifestyle. And if you've been there and you've watched those guards, you'll notice they will take 21 steps. Because the 21-gun salute is the highest honor the military can give. They'll carry that gun always on the shoulder opposite the tomb. They'll take 21 steps. And when they get to the other side, they will stop for 21 seconds. Turn around, put that gun on the other side. And they'll do that constantly for 30 minutes. And then they're will be changed with another guard, and that will be around the clock, 24 hours, 365 days a year. And when the guard is changed and the two men stand eye to eye, they say three words every time, every day, every year. Orders remain unchanged. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has called you and me, and He has never changed the orders. He'll leave no other message because He knows your heart is going to follow your treasure. And so He never calls with a different offer, but He never fails to surpass your offer. He's asking for what you cannot keep to give you something you cannot lose. You see, Jesus does not think the call is a burden. He thinks it's a bargain. He tells a story. He says, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a guy who found a treasure in a field. And in his joy, he sold everything he had so he could get that treasure. Jesus says, I know you've left everything to follow me, but I'll surpass it. In this life and the life to come, you'll be rich in ways you never imagined if you follow me. Some of you may have heard the name of Hudson Taylor, one of the very first missionaries to China, who was there over 50 years. He did two radical things for his day. He was one of the first uh, Western missionaries to adopt the culture of the people he was trying to, to reach. He wore the clothes of the Chinese people. He ate their food. And he accepted people from all Protestant denominations. He wasn't sectarian, and that was a new thing as well. And he changed China. The fruit is still being born today for Christ. Now, some would say he paid a price. 
He buried his first wife there. Three of his children, due to conditions they never would have contracted if he had stayed in England, spent part of his own life paralyzed. Lost much of his work in the Boxer Rebellion. And when the communists took over, they built a factory on top of his gravesite. And so you could say, wow, he paid such a price. But before he died, Hudson Taylor said this. He said, I never made a sacrifice in my life. He never saw his life as a burden. He would tell you he was one of the richest men who ever lived. Do you believe that? Do you believe in what Jesus is doing so much you would give up anything to be a part of it? Because there's no question if you decide to pick up the phone and follow Jesus, you may miss out on some things. But what have you been missing Because you didn't. So would you bow your heads for me just a moment? Praise team is going to sing some wise words over you. And then I have something I want you to do. When it's all been said and done. There is just one thing that matters. Did I do my best? So you've got these little brown suitcases. I'd like you to take a moment, do some business with God, and write on the front on that brown side, what's your one biggest struggle financially in terms of embracing the call of God? Is it worry about the future? Is it debt? What is your one hardest thing to release to embrace the kingdom of God? Just take a second. It's just between you and God. Write it on there, please. like you to stand now we'll sing one more song and as we sing this song if you're ready to embrace the call of God in a personal way to receive Christ to be baptized into his name and to start to follow him this would be a great time for you to come we're going to encourage you while we sing